I would ask that you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes from the book of Revelation. As we continue along in our study, we will be looking at Revelation chapter 21 and verses 9 to 21 this morning. Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 to 21. Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 to 21. Please, brothers and sisters, hear with me the reading of God's Word. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel who were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and wall. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Now, in the 21st chapter in the book of Revelation, we have seen the the glorious future that awaits God's people when He returns. We see that John has been given this vision of the consummation of the new heavens and the new earth where we will see the complete fulfillment of God's promise to His people that He shall dwell with them in their midst forever. It is in glory that this will be fully and completely realized. We see that in the new heavens and the new earth, not only will we be protected spiritually, but we likewise will be protected physically. For our Glorified bodies will no longer experience death, nor pain, nor suffering, 
nor shall they mourn or cry anymore as, as Christ Himself removes everything that can hurt and that can harm His people as we are translated into that perfected state of glory. And what is to be revealed is to be believed because of He who said it. I reread a couple weeks ago that, that the One who spoke is the One who is both trustworthy and true. This is why He tells John to to write it down. right? To write it down. That this is to be believed on the basis of the authority of God. So that every generation that reads this and hears this can believe in that blessed hope that is laid up for all of God's people. But as we have seen, that with this promise along comes a warning as well, doesn't it? And not only were the Churches given this promise, but they were warned. He, he warned the cowards, didn't he? Of what would be their end. And who were the cowardly, we said in the first century? It would be those who, who were professors in the church. But when they were brought before Roman authorities would renounce the name of Christ, right? Confess Caesar as Lord that they might escape the punishment of death, right? But not only is this warning for those within the church who are false professors? But it's also for all the, the wicked and godless, isn't it? As the warning extends to the faithless, to murderers, to the sexually immoral, to liars, and, and so forth. Right? We were told earlier in chapter 21 that all of these shall have their portion in the lake of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But then we must ask, why this? Right? Why this? theme that we keep seeing throughout the book of Revelation. Well, we need to see that, that the second death belongs to all who inhabit Babylon. Right? The second death belongs to all who inhabit Babylon. They will not have a share in the wedding feast between Christ and His bride. Right? But it's this theme that we keep seeing throughout the book of Revelation that really all of God's people belong to, to one of two things. Or maybe one of two women. Either the, the harlot Babylon or the bride of Christ. That's what we see repeated throughout the book of Revelation. And both of these women, the bride and the harlot, are journeying toward a particular end. And so it's the, the harlot and everyone who associates with her, who commits spiritual adultery and idolatry, who will have their end in the lake of fire. But it's all of those who belong to Christ and who are His bride, who are being kept as a, as a pure bride betrothed to her husband, who are journeying towards a different end than that of the harlot and her people. We are journeying toward an end that is such, filled with such radiance and, and beauty that the human language itself cannot fully capture in words what it is that we shall experience in the in the new heavens and in the new earth. And in fact, it's this contrast that we see in the very opening verse of our text. Now you might say, well, preacher, where do you see that? And he's only talking about the bride here. And I think it, it comes out more fully for us when we look over at uh, Revelation chapter 17. Please flip with me over there. And look at verse 1 with me. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Then, 
one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now flip back over to verse or chapter 21. Look at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, What? Come! I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so we see that exact same language is used to draw our minds back to chapter 17 and the, and the contrast that exists between the harlot and the bride. Right? John was, was taken away in chapter 17 to, to see the judgment that was going to befall Babylon. And now in our text today, he is tear, taken away, carried off to see right, the, the excellence and the glory that Christ's bride will now experience. But what we also see in this text this morning is another theme that is not only local to the book of Revelation, but that we see throughout all of Scripture, and that is this, right? that, that God has a plan of deliverance and salvation for His people through judgment. Right? We've said that time and time again, and we've showed many uh, examples and illustrations of this. Remember Noah and the flood. Right? Through the, the judgment waters upon the unbelieving peoples, He, he rescued Noah. He delivered Noah. Right? We said this is the same thing with with the Egyptians and the Israelites. Right? Through the, the, the judgment of the Red Sea waters upon the Egyptians, the Israelites escaped. They were delivered. And all of those things prefigured what we see in our text this morning. Right? The final judgment has occurred to Babylon and all who have associated with it, along with the devil and the beast and the false prophet. And now what happens in our text today? There is deliverance through judgment. As we see the, the complete salvation of God's people and the new heavens and the new earth. And so our text this morning is, is looking forward, right, to the, to the marriage of the church in Christ, who Christ has made His by becoming Lamb, laying down His life, paying the, the dowry price for her to be His. And just like with an earthly marriage, that is characterized by loving unity and oneness between husband and wife, so too in glory shall the marriage of the Lamb of God and His bride be characterized by loving oneness and unity as well. And so as we look in our text today, what is then the, the angel taking John to go see? Ultimately, what he's taking John to go see is the beauty of Christ's bride. And this is our first point this morning. The beauty of Christ's bride. Look with me starting at verse 10, please. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, Clear as crystal. And so immediately I want us to see something. Right? The, the, the question right off the bat is already answered. Is the holy city Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven to be thought of as a, a literal city 
like Jerusalem of old? And the answer is no. Right? The answer is no. How do we know that? Well, what did John say to the angel? Come, I will show you the bride. And he takes him to a high mountain. And what does he show him? The holy city Jerusalem coming down out from heaven from God, having the glory of God. And so who is the holy city Jerusalem? Brothers and sisters, it is the people of God. Right? That is what John is being shown in our text today. It is the bride that appears as the holy city. For the holy city symbolizes the saints in all of their eschatological beauty. Which is why it is said that the city appears having the glory of God. Right? The radiance, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. But as we read that, don't, don't get puffed up. Right? Don't get puffed up because I want us to see this, that, that this beauty that is the church's is not inherently ours. Right? This beauty is not inherently ours. Right? This is a, is a beauty we are told that is given to the church because we are told that the city comes down out of heaven from what? From God. Right? This radiant, glorious, beautiful church that is coming down comes down from God. It is a God-given beauty that we share in as those who have been united to Christ by faith. And so we owe all that we are to God and to God alone. Right? Let us see this, that the, the bride is not a lifetime achievement award. Right? The, the glory of God is not something to be purchased nor something to be earned. It is something that has been graciously bestowed upon her out of the love of God before she ever was. Before she ever even existed. And so she shines beautifully and, and radiantly as we live before the presence of Christ in glory. Because it's His glory then that adorns us. Right? We shine radiantly because it's the glory of God that adorns the saints in glory. It is Christ's glory that clothes His people. This is the exact same thing that we read earlier in Revelation 21, verse 2. Look there. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we see, brothers and sisters, that the, the glorious Christ can only be married to a Glorious bride. That is the only suitable bride for our Christ. But also see that it is He that makes us such. He is the one that clothes us and adorns us with His own glory. Here again, there was a reminder that we need to likewise identify the holy city Jerusalem also with the eschatological temple as well. We need to identify the holy city of God with the eschatological uh, temple of God as well. Why? Well, remember this, that the temple of God in the Old Testament was a temporary place in which God dwelt in the presence of His people. But now it is the new Jerusalem, which is the eschatological temple. And it is that because it is there that God's permanent presence 
now dwells with His people everywhere and His glory just radiates off of everyone and everything. In fact, it's Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 2 that Ezekiel is shown a vision of the, of the new temple. And there in verse 2, this is what we're told. In visions of God, He brought me to the land of Israel and He set me down on a very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. Now, isn't it interesting? Where is, it, where is John taken to? A very high mountain. And he's taken there to see what? The fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48. But whereas in the earthly sanctuary, God's presence was limited to a, a physical structure. And it was limited to a particular person. And it, was, it was broken down by, by walls and curtains so that people were separated from the holy presence of God, now we see in the holy city that the glorious presence of God will be everywhere amongst His people because the holy city of God, the eschatological temple, is not a physical structure, but it is God Himself. Right? It is God Himself as He exercises His presence amongst His people. And if you recall from Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, as John beholds the, the glory of God as he sits upon the throne, how does he describe the radiance of the beauty of the throne? He says that it has the appearance of jasper. It has the appearance of jasper. Right? The radiance of, of precious stones, brothers and sisters, is a, is a metaphorical way to describe the glory of God. And so what we need to see is that is the radiance of the glory of God that John seen emanating from the throne in chapter 4. He now sees emanating throughout the entire holy city, filling up all of God's people and flooding the whole city with His glory, permeating it all. Right? That is what we see here. In light of that, then, brothers and sisters, I want us to see this. That the description of the beauty of the church here in Christ is how God sees you now. Right? The beauty of the bride of Christ that is being described here in all of its brilliance is how God sees you now. Right? If you belong to Christ, if, if God is your God and you are His people, Right? What, the, the, the loveliness that is described for us, right, is a loveliness that, that you now have in God's eyes as the people of God. But the question is, do you see yourself this way? Do you see yourself this way? I think oftentimes because of sin and because of the lies of the devil, we don't. But remember that that God has said that He has put our sin right behind His back. Right? That He remembers our sin no more so that when He looks out upon the bride of Christ, right, He sees us clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. Which should motivate us or cause us to do what? Not to live in licentiousness, but rather ought to motivate us then to live as those whom Christ sees us as. Right? The precious ones, the holy ones, right? God's people who are covered in the righteousness of Christ. It ought to motivate us to, to live in that manner, 
right? To live as citizens of the holy, heavenly Jerusalem above. Those whom we are citizens of at this very moment. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, we are told this, that without holiness, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you want to, to live in a holy city amongst a holy God, you must be a holy people. You say, well, if by nature we are not holy, how can we ever hope to, to live with a holy God in a holy city, in a holy dwelling place? By looking to Christ. Right? Looking to Christ, who is the believer's hope. Who makes holy. right? Who removes guilt. Who imputes righteousness. Who, who sets the people of God apart for His own service. I want you to understand something. When you read many of Paul's letters, he, he refers to the people of God as the holy ones. Right? That's how Paul views you. Because Paul knows that's how God views you. Because that's who you are in God's eyes. Right? Take, for example, in the uh, introduction to the, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says this, that he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus. You say, well, where is the word holy in there? Well, that word saint means holy ones. So Paul is writing to the holy ones. right? Those who have been made holy by Christ through union with Christ. And so let us see that it's the, the glory of God's holiness that we will not just reflect in the new heavens and the new earth, but it is a glory of His holiness that we are to reflect even now. And a glory of holiness that we are to reflect even now. This is why Jesus calls us what? The light of the world. This is why Paul says what? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the Word of life. You see, having the Holy Spirit, being those made holy, we are to radiantly shine before the world. Right? We are Christ's luminaries here on earth. Not just to be so in heaven, right? but to likewise radiate the, the glory of God here on earth as well. And the fact that the holy city is the people of God who are adorned with the brilliance of His radiance and glory, this is brought out all the more in verses 12 to 14. Please look with me starting at verse 12. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now here again we have another allusion to Ezekiel and the temple in Ezekiel. In fact, it, it's an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 48 and verses uh, 30 to 34. So if you would like to, please flip over with me in your Bibles. And let's look at Ezekiel chapter 48 together. Ezekiel 
Ezekiel 48, and let's start at verse 30 together. And keep in mind what we just read as we, as we read this. These shall be the exits of the city on the north side, which is to be 4,500 cubits by measure. Three gates, the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, and the gate of Levi. The gates of the city being named after the tribes of Israel. On the east side, which is to be 4,500 cubits, three gates, the gate of Joseph, the gate of Benjamin, and the gate of Dan. On the south side, which is to be 4,500 cubits by measure, three gates, the gate of Simeon, the gate of Issachar, and the gate of Zebulun. On the west side, which is to be 4,500 cubits, three gates, the gate of Gad, the gate of Asher, the gate of Naphtali. The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits. And the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. Now, what are we told here in our, in our own text here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 12 to 14? Now we're told that the names of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel are inscribed on the gates of the holy city. Now, remember though, what, what list is it, is it drawing from? Which list of tribes? Revelation chapter 7. Right? Remember Revelation chapter 7 when it, it gave the list there. And we were told then, we're told that the, the wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them were twelve names of the apostles. So we have to ask, right, what does this mean? Right? To have inscribed upon, on the gates the, the twelve tribes and to have inscribed upon the wall the twelve names of the twelve apostles. What does this signify or symbolize? Well, we need to see that what it symbolizes is that this city that is coming down out of heaven from God of the saints in glory, is composed of all of the elect of God. All of God's people who have been in covenant with Him from Old Testament to New. Right? That's what it symbolizes. All of God's covenant people for whom the land was slain. Right? The city symbolizes all of God's people, the whole of Israel. Right? True Israel. New, spiritual Israel. From whom now belongs what? People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But you may ask, well, why does this holy city then have gates and walls? Why is it described as having that? If you're telling us that, that this simply describes the people of God. Well, this leads us into our second point, which is the security of our salvation. The security of our salvation. Look at verse 15 with me, please. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now I ask you this, where else in the book of Revelation... Have you read about measuring? Because measuring has been done before, hasn't it? Remember Revelation chapter 11. Flip over with me there, please. Revelation chapter 11. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. 
Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So what did that measuring mean back in Revelation 11? We said it was the spiritual protection of God's people during the 42 months in which God had given the nations to, to trod them. Right? And so now, instead of just measuring the one part or one aspect of the temple, right? he didn't measure the outer court in Revelation 11. Here in our text, he measures the whole temple. Right? He measures the entire city conveying to them the sweet and comforting message that they are a people who will never be trodden again. They are a people who will never be trodden again. They don't have to walk in fear anymore of anything that can be done to their physical bodies. They don't have to worry about any enemy at all who can bring any harm to them. For God's temple presence will encompass everything there. And so there will be no darkness. right? There will be no sin. There will be no harming anyone there. This is why we're told later in verse 25 that the gates of the city shall stay open. Because the people are going to dwell in eternal security forever with the Lord in His temple presence. But not only does this passage cause us to reflect upon Revelation 11, it also causes us to look back even further right, to uh, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 42, which likewise describes the, the measuring of a temple. But what we need to see is that the, the measurements of this temple dwarf the measurements of Ezekiel's temple. But why, do, why does it do that? Well, because it reinforces right, the idea that, that we as God's people have the security of our salvation secure in the new heavens and in the new earth. Now let's look a little more at the city. Right, we're told that the city was 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. So what does that tell us? That its length and width and height are all equal. Okay? Now, 12,000 stadia comes out to about uh, 1,365 miles. Okay? So, really, from here to man-made satellites in the sky. Right? That's 1,365 uh, feet. Or, excuse me, uh, miles. We're also then told what? That the, the wall is, what, 144 cubits. Now, one cubit is 18 inches. And so it comes out to, to roughly a little more than 200 feet high. Now think about that. Right? The, the city is as, is as tall as from here to man-made satellites, but the wall that protects the city is only 200 feet high. Well, it tells us that this is symbolic, doesn't it? That it's not to be read literally. And so when we read it symbolically as it has been intended to be read, there is no oddity, there is no problem with it. Because we see that, that the vision uses symbols to depict reality, doesn't it? And so I ask you this, where else have we seen that number 144? 144 cubits. Well, in Revelation 7, there is 144,000, aren't there? And who are they? All of the people of God. Where do we see that number uh, 12 from 12,000. We just see that in our text today. right? The 12 apostles or the 12 tribes. I mean, if you want to do some arithmetic, 12,000 times 12 equals 144,000. 
I don't know if that means anything or not, but it does. It comes out to that. But what is the purpose of the measurement with these particular numbers? I want us to see this. It is intended to symbolize not only that this holy city houses God's people, but all of these measurements of the entire city are meant to demonstrate or convey to us that we are the city. Right? That the people of God are the city. The city just doesn't house the people of God. We are the, the city is the people of God. Right? That is what these measurements are meant to convey. That's why he measures in what human terms, but also according to an angel's measurement. And so what's he saying? Well, we have what seems to be a, a literal measuring, right? We have, we have real numbers here being used, but it's to be understood more deeply according to its symbolic meaning or angelic meaning. And this meaning that, that what is being measured is God's people in God's glorious presence dwelling safely and securely in that eschatological temple with God, not a literal one, is drawn out all the more for us as we continue to read on. Look at verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopras, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were the twelve pearls. Each of the gates made a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like translucent glass. So, what are we told here? Twelve stones are listed, which the foundation of the wall of the city is adorned with. Now, what is telling about this is this, though, that on the breastplate of the high priest were twelve jewels. Uh, and he wore that as he would enter into the Holy of Holies. That one time of year when he was to go there to make atonement for the sin of the people. And the, the, the list of twelve stones can be found in Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 to 20 as well as Exodus chapter 39, verses 8 to 14. But here's, here's the, the real important point. That when Aaron or any of the high priests walked into the Holy of Holies, wearing this breastplate with the, with the twelve jewels representing all of Israel, right, he walked in as the representative of all of the people. Okay, he walked in as the representative of all the people. And yet for a time, only he, only the high priest, could walk in with these jewels that represented all, all of Israel. But what did it foreshadow? It foreshadowed a time when all of the people of God would walk in to the Holy of Holies and dwell in the presence of God forever. Right? So that what is symbolized in our text in the New Jerusalem reveals to us that what was formerly once belonging only to the high priest is now something that is granted to all of the people of God. Right? Who are we right now, brothers and sisters? We are a, a priesthood of God, aren't we? Right? We have been made a, a kingdom of priests. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a Holy priesthood. 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what I want us to see is that throughout this text, what is being described is not a a literal temple. What is being described in this text is is us. What's being described is, is you and I. What is being described is the church. Right, The church in all of its glorious beauty as we dwell with Christ in consummate security. That's why next week we'll see uh, that we are told uh, in verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. Now that figurative nature is all the more brought out as we look at the gates and the pearls in verse 21, right? The twelve gates, remember, are the twelve pearls. Each of the gates is made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So think about this in our heads. Imagine this, right? The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Remember that each of the pearls are what? Over 200 feet high. And so we have to ask ourselves, does God want us to to really conceive of these gates that are 200 feet high that are just a single pearl? I think not. I think not. I mean, remember what we are reading. uh, An apocalyptic, prophetic book that is filled with with symbolism. And so I think the the question we ought to ask is, what do do pearls actually symbolize? What what were pearls to to the ancient world? Well, pearls were a symbol of great riches, weren't they? Right? Pearls were a symbol of great riches, which is why Jesus Himself uses a pearl of great price in His parable in Matthew 13 concerning the, the kingdom of heaven. And so I ask you this, brothers and sisters, today, who is the Christian's pearl of great price? It is Christ. Right? It is Christ, for He is of intrinsic value and worth. Right? He is the one who is is filled with all of the hidden treasures and riches that we need. Right? He is the one who is full of brightness and beauty and glory. And so let us see this, that it is these pearls that are the entranceway into the city which communicate what to us? That you will not enter through those pearly gates unless one enters through Christ Himself. You will not enter the pearly gates unless you enter through Christ and have received all of Christ's benefits. Right? This is Christ's eternal city. And so we need to see that just as the streets are gold, all of these materials that are being spoken about, pearls and jewels, all of these things are described to emphasize or to bring out more fully the glorious character of the holy city Jerusalem. That's what it's meant to do. Draw out the holy character, the glorious character of these things. Now, here's another question for you. Where else in Scripture is the foundation of a building laid where gold and silver and jewels are built upon the foundation? How about Solomon's temple? You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 5 and chapter 6. Right? But here in the temple, not made with hands, which is everywhere because God's glory is everywhere with His people. We make up the temple because we are in Christ who is the temple. And so what is being communicated to us 
is that there is not one inch, there is not one space, there is not one room, there is not one area, there is not one person, there is not one thing that is not permeated with the glory of God. That's what's being communicated to us here. Right? His, His glory is in all in all. And His glory is such that they use these over-the-top descriptions and measurements and allusions to the grandeur of the Old Testament temples because there is no language that can fully capture the glory of the new heavens and the new earth which you and I will enjoy. It's those streets of gold that further depict for us the consummate safety of of our salvation and glory as well because we have to remember the street of the city where that phrase likewise is used prior to our text today. It's used in one other place in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8. Think back to that time. What happens? What's going on there? We're told that the, the beast is going to rise up. That the beast is going to make war with the saints. That the beast is going to conquer the saints and that the beast will kill them. That's what happens in the street of the city. But now look what is done. That same phrase is used here. Where the two dead witnesses once laid. And now we're told that the the street of the city is pure gold. Why? Because it's underscoring that the apparent defeat of God's people has now been replaced with vindication and victory and eternal glory with our Lord. And so see that we won't just dwell in an eternally secure place, but you and I will be an eternally secure people. Right? Where we are going, it is where Abraham longed to be when he was on earth. Right? Remember what we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. We are told by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. I ask you this, does this describe your life? Is this what you are looking forward to? Are your eyes affixed to the new heavens and the new earth? Right? Abraham knew that by faith God was leading him to that eternal glory. And so he walked in obedience to God, didn't he? Do you live in the manner in which Abraham lived? Do you recognize that God right now it is leading you to eternal glory? Does it cause you to walk in obedience to your Lord? We have to ask ourselves, in, in what way or to what extent are we living this vision today? To what extent do you live this vision in your own lives today? And that is something that each and every one of us must consider. But as we are being brought to the heavenly city, I want us to, to know this. We're not to be looking forward to a, a physical, earthly temple. A physical temple served as, as dwelling places for God's people for a time. But they all foreshadowed the coming of Christ who was going to build not a temple, but build a church to whom He was the chief cornerstone. And He builds upon, not earthly Zion, but He built His temple upon heavenly Mount Zion. Right? Which is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5-6, through 6, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, He, that is God, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and He raises us up with Him and seats us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So see, the, the earthly tabernacle, the, the earthly temple, were, were shadows of heavenly things. Right Now that we in part have those heavenly things, let us not turn back. Right, let us not go back, but let us continue to look forward right, to the fullness, to the consummation of those things. For Moses' tabernacle was divided by a thick curtain, wasn't it? It kept sinners away from the presence of God. But remember what Christ did. Right? Christ came to, to tear down the veil so that we may be a kingdom of priests, that we may approach God and dwell with Him in His presence. Right In Ezekiel's temples, there were dividing walls that separated Jew from Gentile. But what did Christ do? He came. And he broke down that dividing wall of hostility, making one new people by His blood. May we look forward to the day when all of God's people gather together before the throne of God and the Lamb. And yet realize that the only way this could be done was through the, the one... And final sacrifice through which the, the blood and bulls and goats prefigured, that is the sacrifice of Christ who came and laid down His life for us that we might one day experience an inexpressible joy in glory with God. Is this what you desire? To be in the state of glory? To have the glory of God? To shine radiantly with your brothers and sisters in Christ in glory? To dwell in the temple presence of Christ your Lord forever. To share in perfect communion with the saints and with God. To be perfectly conformed to the image of the Son. This is what's yours, brothers and sisters. If you have been effectually called and regenerated and justified, and sanctified. Our text today describes for us the saints' glorification where we see the completion of our salvation that awaits you and I when Christ returns. May all of God's people then live in such a manner that everything we do is done with our eyes affixed upon the beautiful, glorious, wonderful, and radiant heavenly city. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank You for this vision that has been revealed uh, through Your servant John to Your people this day. Uh, we thank You, Lord, that You have encouraged us by Your words. That You have shown us uh, that although we sin, that we are Your saints. We are Your holy ones. Uh, help us to long for the day in which all sin will be removed and we will be perfectly holy in glory. Uh, Lord, we thank You uh, as You have also shown us uh, the security of our salvation uh, in glory as well, that the gates will be open because there will be nothing or no one who can harm us anymore. And so we thank You for that vision. Uh, we pray, Lord, that You would uh, uh, not only uh, follow through and protect us in the manner in which You tell us to in glory, but likewise You would continue uh, to protect us here on earth. Uh, Lord, that You would continue to, uh, by Your uh, most uh, holy and wise counsel and great providence, 
uh, watch over your people this day, that we may uh, live as your holy ones uh, in our lives. We ask, Lord, though, that you would continue to increase us uh, in our holiness. Uh, Lord, that we would see a great need uh, for the holiness that comes only through uh, faith in Christ and that you would uh, make it abound in our lives, that we would be uh, reflectors of the glory of your holiness in, in this uh, land and that you would help us, uh, Lord, though, to uh, not live uh, just for this earth, but rather live for the inheritance that you have set apart for us, which is glory forever with Christ. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.